0: pause. You know, we're going to get the responses to 1,700 surveys uh, from your customers. Let's see what they have to say. And sure enough, what happened, What we learned from the quantitative was that price was about number five, like value was about number five. It rose to the top when they blew the first two attributes. So if they got the first most important relative wrong, then of course price mattered. But if they got those right, price was very low in the consideration set for the customer. Now, I give you this example because... This isn't just important in terms of improving your MPS score. This is about driving average ticket and volume and, and, and creating jobs for employees that are really rewarding. So it, it, it's not the type of thing that you take casually. Like we really take this stuff seriously when we do it. And that's why we want to make it quantitative in terms of validating these things will make a difference. And you should see that. Your CFO should see that in the PL uh, months from now.
1: Welcome to the Delighted Customers Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Slayton, and I'm so glad you're here. I empower leaders to turn indifferent customers into loyal fans. I talk to guests with a wide range of expertise who share meaningful insights and wisdom. We give you practical tips and proven frameworks and share ways to help you delight your customers. I've been doing some research on what's most important to business leaders, and I've heard three major themes. Number one, their employees are burned out and feel overwhelmed. Number two, they're concerned about customer retention. And number three, they want to address customer friction, whether it's controllable or not, but they need actionable results. As a result, I've created the 120-day Quick Start a four-step program designed to go from current state assessment to specific strategies to get you actionable results in 120 days. If you want to make a quick impact, check out empoweredcx.com for more information. I'd love to talk to you. Well, I can't wait to start today's podcast episode on the Delighted Customer Podcast with a very, very special guest, Joe Wheeler. Joe is an international best-selling author, a technology innovator. He's a consultant, he's a speaker, and he's got a brand new book that I am so personally excited about, and we're going to get a chance to dive into that today with... With Joe. Joe, it's called Digital First Customer Experience Seven Design Strategies from the World's Leading Brands. Joe, welcome to the show.
0: Great. Well, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: Well, everyone who got into customer experience and our world entered pretty much through a different path. So, if you could just kind of give me like what you do, like the last couple of things you did right before, what's your story? And then what are you doing right now?
0: Yeah, so um, this is a great question, Mark, because I grew up in uh, like I think a lot of people in our business in a family business. Mm. So my parents own a banquet hall. I mean, honestly, since I was 12, I thought my first thing was coffee or tea. So we really understood service at a granular level. Hmm. Uh, From there, I went into sales and marketing roles and ended up at a great company called The Forum Corporation, where I worked for John Humphrey. John passed away, unfortunately, about a a year ago. And um, that's when I met Sean Smith, and he and I co-wrote a book you're familiar with called Managing the Customer Experience.
1: Hmm. And,
0: um, you know, Mark, honestly, I don't think Sean and I really understood the impact that that book would have. But, you know, we introduced things like the concept of a branded customer experience and touchline mapping and things like that, that you and I think of as journey mapping and things uh, like that. So and then later I founded a company uh, called the Service Profit Chain Institute with Jim Heskett and Earl Sasser. Uh, We collaborated to write the ownership quotient in 2008. And then uh, I built some software. As you know, CX Workout ended up selling that asset. And and that's when I, have after that, I launched CX Digital which is a subsidiary of the Service Chain Institute. And our focus is really helping companies uh, embrace what I've called this digital tsunami and take advantage of it as opposed to react to it or adapt to it. And uh, we're working closely with uh, some great partners to do that.
1: Well, thank, thanks for the run up. And, um, I, I knew about you before I knew you and before we met, uh, because I knew about the, the service profit chain book and the value profit chain book. And if you're not familiar and you're in the CX world, even if you're not, um, great, uh, resource to have service profit chain. And you can correct me if I if I butcher this, uh, but but essentially it says you know anchor the the vision or the strategy of the organization and what the purpose is to you know there's a chain from there to the employee experience and then how satisfied and loyal those those employees are to directly linking to the customer experience again the same thing loyalty satisfaction there and their they're directly correlated and all of that to business outcomes like revenue and profitability. Is is that pretty much on target?
0: Hit it on the hit it right on the head. And you know, it's funny because you know, some people might think, boy, that's a bit dated. I'll tell you, it's the most important thing that's driving right. Starbucks reinvention plan. They call it the Thrive Initiative. And if you look at it, as I put a diagram in the book, it looks a lot like the service profit chain.
1: All right. Now don't don't steal my thunder yet. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to talk about the book and I'm going to talk about Starbucks. And that's one of the things I I just talked to you about. I don't know how you did it, but I love about the book is that you use real companies and real illustrations and stories that are current. Yeah. Um, I don't and the part that I was a little surprised about is how, how you got some of this information. But as a reader, it's fun and don't worry about how he got it. It's all legal. Uh, but he's going to tell you how he got some of it, which is pretty, pretty, really interesting. Uh, going back to kind of the room where it happened, if you go back to Hamilton, um, and where he got the information from. But um, let me let me um, talk about I, going back to that that service-profit chain because I, I'm sure the work there is interwoven into what's behind this book. And it was, was it Len Schlesinger um, H- Haskett and who was the third Earl Sasser or er- Earl Sasser who were Harvard, Harvard folks and professors and, um, and you, you connected with, with them to go into business with them following that book. But um, I, I was interested in how and why you think that is vet- relevant today.
0: Yeah, well, I guess, yeah, great question. I mean, I guess I'd have a couple of reactions. One is, I think organized, I was just reading an article in the LA Times today about controversy around, you know, uh, our chatbots replacing people, you know, and it had this headline of we won't be replaced by Alexa. And so I do think there's real controversy around technology and how it works with um uh frontline staff, especially, but, you know, the case studies in our book, you know, one thing that really runs across all of them is how committed, even the most technology focused people or companies, I should say, Mark are wildly committed to human centered design. So, and, and we, we have an example in what we were just talking about of organizations that kind of drove past the experience of frontline employees, at their peril to design digital first strategies that they thought would would really exceed expectations so you know many years ago when sean smith and i wrote managing the customer experience jeff bezos said to us well if you think in the service industry people are important in my business it's twice as much because you have less time to interact with customers so i think today how you understand the role of frontline employees to create emotional, high attachment experience with customers is as important as it was when Jim and Earl and Lynn first wrote that first Harvard Business School article, which I'm going to suspect was 1995.
1: Yeah, and I, and I think it might have been the forward for you, for this book here we're talking about, which is digital first customer experience, or Jean, Jean Bliss wrote the forward for. She was talking about, really, there aren't any there, there are hardly any industries left where you're not going to have a digital first experience with the customer. Is that right?
0: Right. And in fact, one of our cases, Mark, is Lemonade. You know, and Lemonade is a very mobile first, completely digital experience. Uh, they have really built a powerful front end with AI Maya that, that literally sells you an insurance policy in less than 90 seconds. Now, at some point, you know, you might have to put in a claim. And that process is pretty automated with, with AI Jim. And about a third of the time, after like just collecting a bit of data, Jim will tell you, hey, your, uh, your claim has been approved, the money's in your bank account. But two thirds of the time that doesn't happen. You know, they are an insurance company after all, right, Mark? So, mm-hmm. so when that happens, it's you know handed off to a live I mean, a person at, at Lemonade, they call them makers who's an under who, who's a claim specialist. But when when they pick up that customer in a warm transfer, they understand so much because you know that bot has collected a whole bunch of data and they're able to create a great experience for them. So, so yeah, I mean what we're facing today in even though I, you know, the point is digital first, because often people will interact with your brand through a digital channel of some sort to begin with, it doesn't mean people second.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So and some of the examples and, and stories that you share in the book do a nice job of telling that story. But let let me get into let me get, I, it, some of it's kind of intuitive, but I want to ask you sort of this broad-based question, then we'll dig into the seven principles you have in the book, which is, what was, what did you see out there? There's so much written on customer experience, and there's so much written on technology. What did you see as the white space for writing the digital-first customer experience?
0: Well, I, great question. I mean, I guess, I, like all of us, when we went through COVID-19, we, we just, you know, watched company after company that didn't have their digital act together, mm. you know, really struggle. I mean, we were fortunate years ago, we worked with Panera Bread beforehand and uh, Blaine Hurst, who was their um, chief operating officer at the time. Uh, we talked to him and he said, you know, and they had already innovated things like um, uh, they're just, you know, a rapid pickup capability. Thank goodness. Right. Um, but we saw a lot of companies that didn't. And so a colleague, Uh, from the Kellogg School, who uh, I'm a fan of, Mohan Sohani, wrote an article in Forbes that said, you know, it should be the aspiration of every company uh, to deliver a touchless experience, which, you know, going through COVID, that's pretty good advice. But, you know, at the same time, I probably opened every talk, uh, presentation on customer experience by quoting Charlotte Beers, and she said, you know, the truth is what makes a brand powerful is the emotional involvement of customers. So basically, this book was a journey to try to (laughs) reconcile those two statements. Like, how do you follow the good advice of Professor Swanny and say, yes, we'll create a touchless experience, uh, but not lose what, what we know makes brands powerful, which is emotional involvement, typically delivered by frontline folks. So I was trying to answer the question, you know, has technology gotten to the point where uh, it can del- it can deliver experiences that have strong emotional outcomes that we would typically expect from frontline staff.
1: Yeah, and you've really got to be you've got to have your finger on the pulse of your customer base to really understand where those touch points are, where you can make that emotional connection, and where you shouldn't really fool around with it, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's um, and also, Mark, it depends on where you where, where you're coming from. Like, you know, if um, if if you're a greenfield business like Lemonade was, you know, they built their technology stack from the ground up. They designed the whole thing as digital first. If you're a legacy company, you know, trying to take an experience that's been, you know, um, highly frontline staff oriented and, and introducing digital channels, that's trickier, quite honestly. So it does. And I, I I think the other thing that's important is to understand, you know, there's there's a few challenges to getting this right, and one of them is an old saying in the product development business, which you're familiar with, is, you know, um, uh, never fall in love with your product, right? Fall in love with the customer problem, and, and there's just so much glitter that isn't gold today. In fact, I opened with an example. Of Zoom Pizza. And you might recall Zoom Pizza was this amazing company in California. They actually used A robotics to make pizzas and AI to predict their delivery and deliver them. And they raised, I think something like $350 million from SoftBank uh, to grow this business. Uh, and the short story is: you know, 18 months later, they were they went up. they basically repurposed the company into a packaging business. Um, and I asked the question, which was you know, to what extent were they really solving a problem? I mean, Domino's had really done a good job of their quality. Uh, they could get me a pizza in about 30 minutes. I love their pizza tracker. You know, I kind of like to know that Nicole was going to be showing up with this pizza. Yeah. And so you really have to be careful because not that all that glitters is gold. And uh, and it's tough to decipher which impl- which things you will implement with, with digital solutions, Will, will make a positive difference for customers and which will just add costs and not add value
1: yeah and and that's the thing is where can you add value right right and right. In, in in your in your um book you you started by talking about starting by solving the right problems. You said, avoid avoid designing experiences that customers don't value by applying proven qualitative and quantitative methods to separate the signals from the noise. Love that. The signals from the noise and identify moments of truth for exceeding expectations that will earn you long lasting loyalty and advocacy.
0: Yeah, well, you know, one thing I've... uh, (laughs) because I've been at this for a while, Mark. One thing that I've come Mm. to learn is that there are always typically some set of loyalty drivers that a given segment of customers, if you could really reveal them uh, from the customer back, uh, will be predictive of loyalty and predictive of advocacy. And you just have to be patient. Like if you can do the research, you know. and again, this isn't displacing test and learn and agile technologies to constantly improve, but at some level, when you're trying to really make a big change, If you can use qualitative and quantitative research to get at those drivers and then understand the moments of truth that influence those drivers statistically, like in rank order, I've never not seen those business cases produce terrific results. But I'll say one last thing is you got to be careful, because especially when you're working with uh, executives who are, you know, You're like are are obsessed with trying to get results for every quarter. We had one client where we did a a qualitative study of their detractors, and price surfaced as the biggest attribute. And this the CEO said, "I got it, thanks, Joe. We're going to take it from here. You know, let's go and basically start a price war." And I said, "You (laughs) pause. You know, we're going to get the responses to 1,700 surveys uh, from your customers. Let's see what they have to say." And sure enough. What happened? What we learned from the quantitative was that price was about number five, like value was about number five. It rose to the top when they blew the first two attributes. So if they got the first mm. most important linebacker wrong, then of course price mattered. But if mm-hmm. they got those right, price was very low in the consideration set for the customer. Now, I give you this example because this isn't just important in terms of improving your MPS score. This is about driving average ticket and volume and, mm. and and creating jobs for employees that are really rewarding. Mm. So it, it, it's not the type of thing that you take casually. Like we really take this stuff seriously when we do it. And that's why we want to make it quantitative in terms of validating these things will make a difference. And you should see that. Your CFO should see that in the PL and uh, months from now.
1: You know, I just want to affirm what you just said um, by sharing a, a story inside the bank that that I work we had just um that I work for we had just set up our voc platform and the head of treasury management was interested in us helping helping do a so study and the study was onboarding um so if you, if you know how banking works it, this is not the lending part of the customer relationship this is all the other stuff that they they buy like uh, payroll ach ach Wire management, something called positive pay to take care of security related issues, fraud, and and a whole host of other services, including, including their online, their online banking relationship. His issue was that he had heard from some customers, some complaints and also employees about the amount of documentation on for new, new clients for onboarding. And he's like, Mark, I want you to go get the data so that we can get the support we need from the C-suite to automate, simplify, etc. And we did the research. And basically what we found was, yeah, there's a lot of friction and we expect it. We expect it and it's not a big deal because it only happens once. We understand you need to collect all that information. It stinks, but it, from our standpoint, it was not worth pulling on that lever does that make sense
0: yeah and you know there are things Mm -hmm. in experience sometimes you can't avoid like when i uh dick chase richard chase from usc had a great principle called get the bad news over early like Mm -hmm. if there are things in experience because of regulatory reasons you simply can't take it out just get it over early and move on you know don't let it be the last thing in the experience
1: yeah exactly so i love that like Focus the signals from the noise, right? Spend the time figuring out and what are those drivers, as you, as you said. So you talk about the new three Cs as convergence, competition, and culture. And I'd like you to drill down on that. But before you do, let me just introduce the seven design strategies in the book, okay? Because they're all fantastic and you'll want to go... and and take a look at this um, on your own. We're gonna gonna dive into at least one of them, the Starbucks story, but they are um, achieve emotional peak across channels, finishing strong. Two, create a personalization flywheel to grow customer engagement. Three, strengthen customer commitment by providing choice and control. Four, foster ownership through customer community and co-creation. Five, inspire rituals that create shared meeting. And, and I'll put in parentheses versus habits. <laughs> um, and then seven, empower customers through immersive experiences. Um, link, link digital assets to leverage value over cost, right? So those are the seven, but before we get to those, you open early on in the book when you talk about the three Cs, convergence, competition, and culture tell us more about those
0: well all of us know about culture like with all the last two three years in terms of social justice and uh what you know what we all learned from the great resignation I mean retailers are still struggling and restaurant owners are still struggling to staff um so there's a whole piece around that but the other piece around culture is is really what's happening with climate change I mean two nights ago I was uh you know, watching the news and like most of Canada is on fire. I mean, it's just terrible as we're all facing. And this is what California uh, and and you folks have experienced. So one about culture is you can't not pay attention to these things. I mean, uh, there are new, there are emerging um, disclosure requirements for ESG that will make every person designing customer experiences today really need to understand the end-to-end life story of their products including how to reclaim packaging and all those types of things some industries are more impacted that right now than others but understanding kind of you know the culture piece that's driving this a big deal the second one is obviously around technology and convergence and i talk about five converging technologies from Um, artificial intelligence, machine learning, really conversational AI, the way I describe it, and then application networks, edge-based computing, et cetera. And all of these five are really going to be um, impacted when 6G um, uh, is fully deployed. Now, 6G won't be here for a while. You know, the the best advice I got from people in the know is it's still probably kind of a late uh later in this decade when it's fully operational. But Mark, here's a question. So how much faster do you think 6G will be over 5G?
1: I I read the book, so it's not fair, but I will tell you it's a it's it's hard to fathom what what you wrote.
0: <laughs> right. So you know what what again I really we really did due diligence on this is 6G when it's fully operational will be like 30 to 50 times fast, let's say it's 30 times faster than 5G. I mean, think about what that means for how you would design experiences in the future. So that's not happening tomorrow as we all watch, you know, the hourglass timers turn as we download videos and things like that. But it is coming. And and when it comes, because what makes 6G more challenging, than not more challenging, but different than 5G? 5G there's just changes that have to happen at the network level but it'll mm. take a while. Um, but they're testing it. AT&T is testing it. That's public knowledge in Austin right now. And, um, for all your listeners who are interested in learning more about this, Mark, I will, sh- I will send you an article that anyone who cares about this topic should read about the future of 6g and what it means for lots of different things um and then the last thing is competition and and i'll just briefly say the thing that to me is most interesting about competition and it's featured in that seventh design strategy about amazon called link digital assets to leverage value over Costs." i learned a lot from dave rogers uh who wrote the digital um Uh, 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 Transformation Playbook. He has a new book coming out called The Roadmap. And um, what he taught me was how important it is to start to compete on both a value proposition, but also a value network that makes it hard to imitate. And his his example, one we can all relate to, is Netflix. And what made Netflix outperform Blockbuster at the end of the day wasn't just the value proposition, because Blockbuster actually tried to replicate it, as you know, was that they had invested and built a network that just could not be copied. And so I use Amazon as a case study for this because, you know, there's very few companies with the ecosystem that Amazon has, but also when you look at how they link digital assets and data uh, to create a value proposition and a value network that will be very tough to imitate by any competitor, that's something that any one of your listeners that are working on designing customer experiences might wanna pay attention to because you don't have to be Amazon to figure this out. You know, we all have data and uh, there is a way to link your digital assets uh, in a way that can make a pretty compelling uh, story competitively.
1: Well, um, th- thanks for going over the three Cs. I think it's fascinating. And, and what, when you dive into the 6G uh, thing, it's kind of mind-blowing to think about what's, what's coming and all the things that need to change in between now and then, but how it could affect, it, it really, it's going to affect everybody.
0: Yeah. I mean, uh, an executive in VMware I quoted in the book said, you know, I mean, technology will become like air. Like what's the impact to society? It's it's way bigger than you and I, right?
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and and so so let let's pick if it's okay, I want to pick a couple of these to to drill sure. down on. Um the the one that kind of grabs my attention here is the second design strategy, which is create personal create a personal personalization flywheel to grow customer. Engagement. Say more about what you mean there.
0: Well, you know, Mark, when we looked at, because personalization is, you know, it's not a new idea. Most brands are personalizing to some degree. You can't log on to um, your favorite website or or store and not have it make a recommendation, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, I guess the question became like, what's next in personalization? And so when <laughs> we looked at companies who are kind of well-known for this, like the Netflixes of the world, the one that just stood out like just head and shoulders was Spotify and Spotify to me is really remarkable because um, what they think about personalization is different than, than lots of other companies and that they see it as more about relevance. Like, like their head of R and D says, you know, our, our focus, you know, of course they're going to recommend your favorites, right? So if I'm a you know, if I'm a, a big Frank Sinatra fan, of course, I might get a Tony Bennett recommendation, but they're also going to push me a bit. They're going to, like, understand, like, their their machine learning is designed to, st- to study your behavior. They build what they call a data double of every customer, of every listener, I should say. And uh, and from that data double, they use, you know, um, neural nets and, like, large machine learning uh, capabilities To suggest things that might push me a little bit in a positive Mm. way, because their goal is to create what they call a healthy content diet. Now, that makes a lot of sense for Spotify because their goal isn't just on the music front. You know, they talked about their audio strategy. And so they've introduced podcasts, obviously. In fact, they now distribute, they're the largest podcast distributor in the world um, and of audiobooks. So, I mean, think about this. You can have a single customer interface to a half billion listeners. And with the same front end on my mobile phone, I could um, download Joe Wheeler's audiobook. I can listen to Fred Reichheld's podcast, and I could play- This Google. podcast. This podcast, sorry, <laughs> this podcast. But you know, to me, that's remarkable. Same front end, I don't have to learn something different, but the back ends are all quite different. They call it the yeah. Spotify machine. And this runs through what they call a discoverability personalization engine, that uh honestly, one of the things that that I did, and when I wrote this book, Mark, I got feedback from about a dozen people who I had I, I used agile to write the book. So I would write a draft, I send it out to these dozen people, they get back to me. And um half of them were like, Joe, these chapters are kind of long, but what I like about them is you give a lot of detail. It's what you were saying at the beginning. And so um so there is a lot of detail because I always found when I read these books, sometimes I left kind of unsatisfied. It was like a good case, but I could have read that in Forbes. I want to know the heart of the matter. So like, for example, you can look at Nike and see, gosh, they make these amazing immersive experiences. But what's what's really at the heart of the matter is how they link this to their core values. Like, it's not just that it's just this wonderful immersive experience like at their house of innovation. Everything they do aligns to what they stand for. That's a big insight to me. And every case study tries to get to quote the heart of the matter. And um, and uh, the personalization one that features Spotify, I think, does that. You know, I hope in a way that uh, that people find a value.
1: Well, awesome. Somehow you managed to get lemonade Spotify um vmware already mentioned and and even nike you even got nike in there but i want to double click on nike if i could because because um you shared about this idea of linking um technology and digital assets to their core values and their mission Um, can you share more about what your nike story that you wrote about in the book
0: yeah, well, to me, it's a remarkable one. You know, there's a new move. At I don't know if it's that new now. i has been out for, for for four weeks about Nike, right? Um, but what's really interesting to me was and what I learned from from that from the team there was the degree to which they are so committed to um, supporting athletes. And an athlete, you know, is someone with a body. So an athlete isn't. I mean, obviously, LeBron James is quite an athlete. Um, but their 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 vision is to support you and I and everyone. Um, And so the, what, I guess I say three things. One is what's powerful is not just how they combine technology very cleverly um, to build immersive experiences. They understand both the front end and the back end. One of the things I say in the book is, you know, digital first design, the back end is the front end. (laughs) So you might be dazzled by a great front end, but it only exists because they figured out how this will run operationally before they pulled the trigger. Mm. Secondly your experience at a Nike House of Innovation in New York, once you kind of um, scan your uh, mobile device, Mark, will be different than mine. So think about that. What was the last time you went through a retail experience that was uh, cur- curated for you automatically from any of the Nike mobile apps? To me, that's pretty remarkable. So one of the things they learned was people love mannequins. You know, They love to be mm. able to, to, but they get frustrated because they can't find the stuff. So you scan a mannequin at the House of Innovation and up comes all the products that you see on it. And then you can pick the ones you'd like to try on. And, um, and basically, you get an alert that says, hey, this will be waiting. and You've been assigned to this um, change room. And, uh, and here's what will be ready. And so to me, this is pretty powerful technology, right? But what's cool about it is that now once I get into the change room, I can change it. If I love yoga, I can have a yoga setting. Because why? They found out that their customers love taking selfies of themselves trying on Nike stuff. And so they wanted to give them backgrounds that are relevant to them. So, you see, to me, this is a company that, you know, I always say to my kids, pay attention to what you pay attention to. Mm -hmm. To me, they are designing an experience that is wildly uh, focused on their customer and how their customers wants to shop versus what they want to sell them. Mm -hmm. And uh, and the last thing I'll say about Nike since you brought it up was the thing that I also found to be very um, remarkable is just how they're um, if you if you haven't read, this is their 50th anniversary. And John Donahoe, mm. their CEO, um uh talks a little bit about their um uh, their race to zero, their their zero, um, their ESG capabilities. And that document, every company should read what Nike's done there in terms of their um their commitment to uh, overachieving. All of the companies in the case studies are overachieving their ESG targets. And uh and Nike's report on that is uh, just a remarkable report.
1: Mm. And really fascinating way to think about the experience and wowing customers and uh taking snapshots. I, I don't take snapshots of myself uh trying on sneakers. I try to be as not non-discriminate as possible <laughs> doing that. <laughs> but um, but it makes a lot of sense that people do imagine themselves and I I could just see that, you know, creating an emotional connection with their customers.
0: Well, and you know they're very uh, co-creation matters a lot. So mm-hmm. you know they're they, they've entered the world of the metaverse and the NFTs. They, um, I I just wrote about this in a, a LinkedIn article or a LinkedIn blog about it. But but at the same time, it, you know they use technology in a way that's of high value to customers. So one of the things mm-hmm. that it's hard to do is get a great fit. Well, they've created the Nike and uh, Nike app that basically you, you stand with your socks on, you take a picture of your feet, and it takes a it actually creates a, a better. A shoe size for you than the old traditional way. And then when you shop online, it's only giving you examples of sizes that would fit you that are in stock. So clever things like that. But I mean, honestly, this combination of technology, personalization, and brand alignment, there's not too many companies that you would find do a better job of that than Nike.
1: Mm. Great story. Great story. All right, let's land the plane talking about Starbucks and what's going on largely... Um, Largely around the employee experience that's impacting the customer experience. So, tell um, and that one particular that particular one, I think hits on inspire rituals that create shared meaning. And and I say in my own notes there versus habits because you delineate the two in the book. Talk about the Starbucks. What's going on there? How. Yeah, they were in, They were in a bit of trouble there for a while there. So to tell that story, that dra- dramatic story, and what's going on now, what, what Howard Schultz is doing.
0: Well, you know, as everyone knows, Howard came back in the, in the business several months ago um, to launch what they call their reinvention plan, and uh, Starbucks, like lots of you know other companies, are suffering from this as well in terms of uh, unanticipating the kind of demand uh, digital first strategies would have on frontline employees. So. You know, what the company went through post-COVID um, is people coming back into stores, you know, kind of like crazy. And um, the combination of, of the mobile app, which they launched, I guess, back in 2016, 2017, what they call their digital flywheel, like the growth in orders from mobile ordering, you know, plus what happened to Starbucks is, is product mix change Mark. So that they went from about 80% of the mix being hot beverages to, I think, almost 80% being cold beverages. Now, anyone who's been to a Starbucks knows that the cappuccino machine is right front and center. And so making a frappuccino is a whole different process. And one that is just obviously they weren't set up for. Um, and so this created a perfect storm. So baristas, you know, could just could not keep up with the demand um, for these beverages. And as Howard Schultz said when he came back in the business, you know, our customer has changed a bit. So, you know, I remember I tell the story in the book about meeting Bobby Flay, you know, it's pretty exciting to meet him in a store in, in um, the Lower East Side. And he and I talked for a little bit and I got a selfie with uh, with Mr. Flay. And I would sit there like I'm sure you have too, Mark, you know, to be able to just work on a presentation or meet. But, you know, customers were also coming in for rapid pickup and things like that. So. So now what Starbucks has done is they've hired a new CEO um, and, they're, and they basically launched what they call their Thrive Initiative, a billion dollars spent in terms of improving the employee experience. They've launched an employee... Um, loyal uh an employee uh lifetime value calculator so they're applying lifetime value to their uh, partners as they as they call them and uh they've 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 launched a partner innovation center so they've really stepped up i mean not to i go through all the detail in terms of what they've done to um address the employee experience and uh you know they're very committed to it they've they're introducing a new system this is public knowledge called the siren system and what's exciting about that mark is it takes what would have taken the process for making a frappuccino uh, to they've cut that time down to about two-thirds i mean that's a big deal and mm. of course they they're and now their stores now that talk about you know very purpose-driven stores you know some that are high volume kind of pick up they're actually partnered um they've done some pilots with amazon's just walk out to app, walk out technology to be able to kind of order and then pick up and go so They're appealing to both types of customers. You know, you and I like to stay in a Starbucks and have conversations and for customers that are, you know, there to pick up their latte and a a fresh uh, bakery product and to go. And at the end of the day, though, what they know matters more than anything else is that partner experience and how they regain the trust, uh, regain um, the uh, respect and and start to kind of scale out this uh, billion dollar investment uh, to make the employee experience just better. And to be um, and to be kind of think mindful about capacity and how they manage capacity and demand and how the partner makes that experience come to life for customers, which doesn't change, you know.
1: Yeah. So um, I love the list of things that they came up with to enhance the employee experience. I mean, clearly um, they were having a lot of trouble to the point where at Starbucks unions were beginning to form.
0: Yeah, I mean, to keep in perspective, I still think it's like about less than 1% of the US stores. But still, I mean, here's the thing. And they were quick to react. And you know, it's a little controversial. I mean, I think Mr. Schultz was uh, invited to speak to Congress. I think Bernie Sanders had a point of view about this. But, you know, I stay out of the politics of this stuff, Mark, because what I care about is I think the same thing you care about, which is what's the learning? I guess my point is, if Starbucks can miscalculate this, any company can. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. these are the people that taught us about employee experience. They called their employees partners. They gave them full healthcare benefits for part-time uh, employees. They introduced mm-hmm. university-sponsored education. Don't yeah. Think about this for a half a minute. Um, they're the highest-paying retailer in America, maybe not as high as Costco. I uh, could be wrong, but you know, they they're, you know, they, they hit $17 an hour be- far before anyone else did. They dealt with this. So it's like, <laughs> that's why I say at the beginning, digital promise or peril, right? I mean, I don't want to make anyone afraid to, to embrace digital channels and to embrace real experience, but I do think we want to have some humility and really think through carefully. Are we solving problems customers would really care, care about and be willing to pay for? You got to answer that question before you go, too hog wild in technology that may or may not uh, either create great customer advocates or do the exact opposite.
1: Yeah, I mean, and I heard someone use this term. You know, are you are you using technology in search of a strategy?
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. Right? That's a good way to put it.
1: If if I had to 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 think about one nugget, um, one single nugget from your book to take away, would that be it? Would it be? understand what matters, understand the loyalty drivers and fix those when it comes to applying digital to your, your customer experience.
0: That's a great question. Let me give you a thoughtful response, Mark. I think, you know, I, yeah, I think that's right. I mean, honestly, I think there's so many insights. There's 10 of them that I wrote kind of in a summary from all the research into these companies. And and one of them is this notion of uh, I said it before is is the back office is the front office. But the thing that the thing that I that is just not obvious and it's worth us spending just a couple of minutes on is yeah. if you get this right, the rewards are massive. Mm. And what I mean by that is It might not hold for every business, but if you, that's why I call that chapter, create a personalization flywheel that grows customer engagement. The thing about digital is digital can serve hundreds of thousands and millions of customers. Do you know what I mean?
1: Mm. Like
0: it's a way to scale an experience, you know, beyond what you can imagine. And if you can figure this out in a way that it creates a flywheel, so the flywheel at lemonade, the flywheel at Amazon, the flywheel at Nike, the flywheel at all these companies, is possible because they understand how to apply digital design strategies that produce that type of highly scalable, highly repeatable experience. So lemonade, for example, I talk a little bit about because you know it's very digital first, very mobile centric, very AI centric. at the same time, Because it's so domain-specific, I mean, it's about insurance, they're able to create pretty strong emotional outcomes, even through a bot. And you see it in their data. I mean, their MPS scores rivals Apple's. And I said to someone the other day, if you content-coded the customer testimonials from Lemonade, the word that would pop to the top is love.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) And, Mark, these are people talking to a bot.
1: Yeah. So,
0: Listen, I just think we need to understand this. I'm not saying, you know, this is the right way for every company. But I do think if there is a flywheel business uh, opportunity in your business, understanding this could really be rewarding to companies.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Look, I know that you are friends with, and I saw the testimonial in the front of your book from Joe Pine, who wrote, you know, this idea of mass customization. He's come out with this new term called, customering meaning there are no more markets there are no more market segments there are unique customers and really it, it speaks to what you're talking about here which is the experience is very individualized and if you can scale it and still make it personal um and you know not just personal but how can you see here's here's the thing i'm gonna, i'm going to pull this out and, and and as a gem from you right not just personalize it, but make it an emotional connection for the customer. Right. right? You know, which Nike does when when someone's taking a photograph of themselves trying on shoes, when the background changes and they can make believe they're on a basketball court or a volleyball court or pickleball court nowadays. Um, right? And 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 Starbucks can do it with um, using technology for the pickup part of it, and even building out stores that are just pickup pickup stores. There's no seating in them. Yeah. You know, because that's all that customer, that's a wow for that customer. If I can just get in, get out, get what I need.
0: Right. And so emotional outcomes like, you know, delight and empathy and things like that can be delivered by both people and technology. And the trick is how do you land on the right mix? What I tried to do with this book was help you think through how would you assemble the mix of human digital and logistical um, interactions that would really meet the customer in their power of need, uh, exceed expectations on those loyalty drivers, you know, drive your business case and can be scaled in a way that you can scale uh, economically. And um, that's, it's just how we do this design work in 2023 is just very different than how we did it even five years ago because of
1: that. All right. Well, absolutely fascinating. Uh, love the conversation Uh, you must buy the book, even if you're not a CX professional, you, you must get the book. Let me just say the name of it again. Digital first customer experience is, is the name of the book. And if we're going to, we're going to end with this question, which is a little bit more speaking of personal, a little more personal in nature, which is what advice. And I ask all my guests this: what advice would you give your 20 year old self?
0: Yeah. So this is a great question. I would say. You know, someone someone I always say this to my kids, pay attention to what you pay attention to. So I think I think just being incredibly conscious and self-aware of what your motivations are, what your goals are, um really matters. And at 20 years of age, you're still trying to you know figure out what that looks like. But there are clues if you pay attention. And I was asked this by someone else that interview I did this, which is the, what's the most important attribute for a leader? And my answer was the same, which is basically self-awareness, quite honestly. Because mm. I think with self-awareness comes a whole lot of other good attributes like being empathic, uh, like understanding you don't know all the answers. And in fact, people especially closest to the customer will give you great advice on, on what they really care about. So I would just say, be conscious, be, uh, pay attention to the things that, that, that you seem to pay attention to, and uh, you probably won't go wrong.
1: Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. If listeners would, would like to connect with you some way, what's the best way for them to get in touch?
0: Oh, well, they can visit the website, cxdigital.ai. That's probably the easiest way. And, uh, and just send an email or, or, or uh, pop me back, a phone number. Happy to chat.
1: Okay, and if someone's interested in you as a speaker for an event they have, you'd be available to do that?
0: Yeah, in fact, there's a separate website for that, but they can reach us from the CXDigital.ai website too, Mark.
1: Okay, and you are on LinkedIn.
0: I am on LinkedIn, a little bit too much these days, I think.
1: (laughs) All right, well, thank you so much. Thanks for your contribution to our profession with this fantastic work of yours that I know took a while to put together.
0: Well, can I share with you the stupidest question you can ask someone in Seattle? Please do. Is there a Starbucks near here?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know there's one on Pike's Place. I know that.
0: I think I asked that that once when I was there and the person said, you're standing in one. (laughs) 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 Thanks, Mark. Great to chat with you.
1: Thank you so, so much, Joe. Thanks for listening to the Delighted Customers Podcast. I'd like to ask you a favor. If you have enjoyed this episode or any of my other ones, hit subscribe or follow. I've got a lot of other great guests that are coming up and a lot of other great content, and I don't want you to miss anything. You can find any links or references on the show in the show notes, and you can find those on my website at empoweredcx.com.